for our kids when they started getting married, uh, we told them, go make everybody else happy, and mom and I will be here when you get here. And uh, that's the way it's worked ever since uh, TJ got married, and it's worked that way uh, all the while. Brother Tyler and Jenny are on their way back from Indianapolis tonight. Uh, Kelby and Tiffany got in last evening, and TJ and Sheena will be here tomorrow. So we'll have all the kids in town, and we'll uh, do our thing on Saturday. So we're, uh, we're good with that, and uh, all of our uh, Christmas is just laying around the house. Uh, my wife uh, quit doing all the Christmas decorations a long time ago, and we're perfectly good with that. And uh, so we're looking forward to having all the kids here, and uh, we'll have a good time with that. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Tonight, Philippians chapter 4, and then find some way to mark your Bibles in Acts chapter 27, because we'll be there as well tonight. A couple of prayer requests real quick. Um, most of you know the Corlews, our brother Paul, our youth pastor, took off for Indianapolis as well this week. Uh, his parents live up in Ohio, and uh, Crystal's parents live in, in uh, Indianapolis when they got there, when they, when they left, Bradley wasn't feeling well. When they got there, he was feeling even worse. And uh, come to find out, they uh, took him to the hospital. Then they had to get him to uh, Cleveland. This happened in Ohio. They then had to get him to, in and out, or excuse me, to Cleveland to the children's hospital, and he was in ICU for a day or two. Come to find out, he has type 1 diabetes. And uh, so those that are familiar with diabetes know that uh, that changes your life, like forever. Uh, how old is Bradley? Seven? Do what? Third grade? Type 1 diabetes, third grade. Um, his life has now changed forever, along with that of his parents and his siblings. Uh, but I'm telling you, when he gets back, I intend, you know, I intend to set him down and tell him this. He's one of the bravest kids I know. He's already given himself shots. He's already pricking his finger four or five or six times a day. He's doing all of that on his own. And uh, so I'm, I'm going to celebrate his bravery uh, when he gets home. I know some adults who still can't give themselves shots and who still cringe every time they prick their finger. And here's Bradley, man, he just, he digging in there and getting it done, getting it done. So props to him, that's good. So pray for them, it's going to be a big adjustment uh, for them, for him, their family. Uh, so remember them in prayer. Then also pray for June Helm tonight. Uh, they uh, flew her to Wichita. Uh, Brother Rick, when was it? Yesterday? The day after Christmas. Um, so that'd be yesterday. Um, she was not doing well at all here. Um, still not doing well uh, there in uh, Wichita. They, uh, there wasn't a heart attack. There wasn't uh, anything of that nature. They tested today. They didn't find any blood clots. I'm not sure exactly what's going on, but pray for her. Um, just really having a lot of uh, uh, medical anxiety with not being able to breathe and catch your breath and things of that nature. Totally different kind of anxiety than what we've been talking about over the last uh, uh, several weeks. Uh, but uh, Tammy's with her, and any of you that have uh, sat with uh, uh, parents with failing health, 
uh, know that that's a very taxing ordeal. Um, it just takes a lot of time, a lot of care, a lot of attention. It's very stressful uh, having to make decisions and, and uh, trying to get them to understand the decisions that are being made and the procedures that are being done. Um, so pray for Tammy, if you would, as she sits there with her. I know that she would appreciate that very, very much. Now let's read Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verses 4 through 7, and then we'll get into the message tonight. Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful, that word means worrisome or anxious, thus our study. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In our last time together, which was last Wednesday night, I preached to you about the importance of prayer when battling anxiety. Prayer te- Paul tells us in this text that we are to pray about everything. But let's be honest, we often do not do that. I, gave, I quoted this last week and I'll give it to you again tonight. We are prone to pray about the big things in life and we forget to pray about the so-called little things until they grow and become big things. Somebody say amen. Because that's exactly the truth. Well, I got this. I can handle this. This isn't that big a deal. Everything will be okay. And the next thing we know, this thing that we didn't pray about because it was a little thing has now become a big thing. And now we're trying to play catch up in our prayer life uh, when the truth of the, of the matter is, if we would have taken this little thing to God in prayer when it was still a little thing, maybe it would have remained a little thing. That's why Paul tells us in this text to pray about everything. Listen, and I, I said this last week and I'll say it again tonight, there's nothing big to God. Say, well, I'm just going to pray about the big things. Listen, they're all little things to God. Big things to us, yes. But to God, they're little things. Nothing is big to the creator of the universe. It's all small stuff to God. So whatever it is (coughs) in our life that, that comes at us that we've got to deal with, listen, Paul says that we need to take everything to the Lord in prayer. And we talked about that word prayer last week, and we talked about supplication, and we talked about thanksgiving. But what I really tried to zero in on last Wednesday night was the word request, because it carries the idea of being specific. Now, how many of you found yourself praying more specifically this week than you, than you have been? I have to raise my hand. I did not realize, honestly, I did not realize how general my praying had become. 
Especially, and many of you know, I, I pray for every family in this church every week. I've done that for years and years and years and years. I've got you divided up into Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And I pray, I pray for every family in this church every single week. And here's where that really became apparent to me. This week, as I was, began praying over the families of Fellowship Baptist Church, that's where I really began to realize how general my praying had become. And so as I would go over every family that I prayed for on Tuesday, I tried to be very specific about my prayer request for your family. If I knew something was going on in your life or in the life of your children or you've shared with me a need that you have uh, in your family, I tried to be very specific about that. And, 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 and I hope that, that you will take the message from last, last Wednesday night and really apply it to your prayer life because I promise you this tonight, it will change the way you pray. When you begin to pray more specifically. So here's the deal. Just saying to God, Lord, help me with my, with my anxiety is, is like saying, Lord, bless my meeting tomorrow. Or, Lord, help me at school tomorrow. Or, Lord, bless my family. Well, how do you want him to do that? Just praying, Lord, help me with my anxiety is not very specific. Specifically, what can the Lord do to bless your meeting tomorrow? Specifically, what can the Lord do to bless your family? Specifically, what, what do you want the Lord to do for you with regard to your anxiety? Are you tracking with me? Be specific. What is creating the anxiety? Is it a situation? Is it a, is it a person? Is it a, is it a need that has arisen? Is it something physical? Is it something financial? Is it something in your marriage? Is it something with your children? Is it something with, a, with an in-law or an outlaw? What is it that's creating the anxiety in your life? Don't just go to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with my anxiety. For crying out loud, be specific. Exactly what is it that is creating? Well, it's, it's, it's who I work for. They are impossible. They are beyond reasonable. Okay. Then pray about that. God, I've got to go to work tomorrow, and my boss has just been a jerk all week long. He's been unreasonable here. He's been unreasonable here. He's been unreasonable here. And God, I don't know how to deal with this anymore. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you help him not be a jerk? Would you help him to be more kind? Would you help him to listen more? Would you help him to be more reasonable? Or, you understand what I'm saying? Be specific. That's much more specific than, Lord, help me with my boss. No, exactly what is it that you want him to do. Specificity is the key when we pray. And here are the three things that I pointed out about specific prayer. Number one, specific prayer is serious prayer. You remember the illustration 
Ain't Nick sitting in the same place tonight that he was last Wednesday night. You remember the illustration I gave? If I, if I come, came up to Nick and said, hey, Nick, do you mind if I come over sometime? Then, yeah, whatever. You know, he's not going to think I'm very serious. But if I were to come up to Nick and say, hey, Nick, do you mind if I come over this Friday night? I could be there about 7. Um, I just got some issues at work that I'm dealing with, and I'd really like some insight and maybe how to deal with those things. I won't stay. I promise I won't stay later than 8. Now he understands I better get the house clean, better get things picked up, because it sounds like he's pretty serious about coming over. You understand the difference? Ser- specific prayer is serious prayer. And then we talked about this. Specific prayer is an opportunity for us to see God's work. And we went to the book of Genesis, and we looked at how Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And so when the servant got to the land where where he was to find a wife, he was very specific. He said, Lord, let her be this, and let her do this, and let her say this. And and he was very specific about what he prayed. And lo and behold, when when, uh, uh, Rebecca, is that right, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, is that right? Okay, when Rebecca showed up at the scene, she did exactly what Isaac requested of the Lord. She said exactly what Isaac requested of the Lord. And so in asking God to do this and this and this, and then seeing God do this and this and this, I, uh, 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 Abraham's servant was able to see God at work. And church, listen to me, when you and I begin to pray specifically and we begin to see God respond and answer our prayers specifically, listen, that's going to increase our faith. And then here's a third thing that specific prayer does. It's a way for us to capitalize on God's promises. Find a promise that fits your problem And then build your prayer around it. Pray God's word back to him. Now here's the bottom line. The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. So pray, pray, pray. And then notice what happens when you do verse 7, Philippians 4 and verse 7. And the peace... Of God. We're talking about putting our anxiety to rest. Paul said, In the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, the perfect storm? You've heard that phrase? How many of you know what that means? If I came to you and said, hey, what does that mean? You could say, you could, okay, that's fine. Here's the dictionary definition, all right? A particularly violent storm arising from a rare combination of adverse meteorological factors. All right? I'm not going to read that again because I probably mispronounced meteorological And that's the second time I probably mispronounced it, so I'm not going there again. 
You know what I'm talking about. For example, a hurricane force, a hurricane force winds with a cold front plus a downpour of rain, they all work together to create what is considered an insurmountable disaster. I mean, the winds alone can be a challenge. So here we have, here we have below freezing temperatures, wind, and snow. All of those things can combine to create insurmountable disaster. So again, either one of any one of those in and of itself can be a challenge. But when you put the other things with them, you have a recipe for disaster. You have the elements that are needed to create the perfect storm. Now you understand tonight that you don't have to be a, a fisherman or a sailor to understand or to experience a perfect storm. A major purchase, let's say, of a new car or of a new home, plus a layoff at work, can combine to create a perfect storm. The loss of a loved one and the Christmas holidays. A sick parent and no more paid days off work. I mean, we could, we could create all kinds of scenarios that could easily combine to create perfect storms in our lives. And here's the deal. You can handle one challenge. Yes or no? Yes. Well, we bring, bring that on one at a time. I can deal with that. I can handle that. But two or three at a time, I mean, very much of that, and it has you wondering, will I survive? How am I going to get through this? Can I make it to the other side? And according to the words of Paul, the answer tonight is a resounding yes. As we do our part, as we rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in His sovereignty, rejoice in His mercy, rejoice in His nearness, and as we demonstrate moderation, which is a temperament that is seasoned and mature, it's the opposite of overreaction or a sense of panic. So we're rejoicing in the Lord. We're exhibiting moderation. We're praying specifically about everything. And we're possessing an attitude of gratitude. Paul says when those things happen in our life, then that's when God does his part. Which is give us peace. And here's what I want you to note about what Paul said in verse 7. He didn't say it's the peace from God. 
He said it's the peace of God. As one writer described it, he downloads the tranquility of the throne room into our world, resulting in an inexplicable calm. We should be worried, but we aren't. We should be upset, but we're comforted. The peace of God transcends all logic, scheming, and efforts to explain it. This kind of peace is not a human achievement. It's not some pill-provided trip to la-la land. It's a gift from God. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give unto you. Listen, not as the world giveth. Yeah, the world can, can give us a pill to, to kind of soothe things or, or we can roll a, a joint and, 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 and go somewhere for a while, but we're going to be back. And the world can, can lull us to sleep and, and the world can create some kind of synthetic peace but, but the truth of the matter is, at some point, we've got to come back to reality. Jesus said, the peace that I give to you is not like the peace that the world can give. Temporary, fake, not real. He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus offers you his peace. Think about that. The peace that calmed his heart when he was falsely accused. The peace that steadied his voice as he stood before Pilate. The peace that kept his mind clear as he hung on the cross. That was his peace. And it can be your peace. This peace, Paul said, keeps our hearts and minds. That word there means to guard. The peace of God guards us or protects us from things like anxiety and doubt and worry as we celebrate him and as we pray to him it's as if he constructs a, a fortress around our hearts and around our minds protecting us from the attacks of the devil this will be the last time tonight that I say there, the last time I say this in this series, because this is the last message in this series. So here goes. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable. But the prison of anxiety is optional. There are things that come up in our life every day that are unavoidable that bring anxiety, 
that make us anxious, that begin the process of worry. Listen, those things happen. Life happens. That's the way it is. But listen to me tonight. According to the words of the Apostle Paul, we do not have to live there. Now, I want to point out something tonight. And and this is interesting to me because I had, had not put this together before with respect to when Paul wrote these verses. I've told you a number of times and reminded you a number of times in this series from where Paul wrote these verses. He wrote them from prison. He was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He's writing these verses about peace and about overcoming anxiety. He's writing them from a prison cell unaware of what his fate is going to be. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But yet he's able to write about the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and how it can keep us calm. And he writes about rejoicing in the Lord's sovereignty, knowing that that everything that's come into his life has come into his life because it's part of God's plan for his life. He talks about God's mercy, God's nearness. And he writes all of those things from a prison cell. But here's, here's, here's what I did not connect with Philippians chapter 4 until today, and that's when he wrote these verses. And that's where Acts chapter 27 comes into play. If you mark that turn there, would you please? Acts chapter 27. We have not gotten to this chapter in our church life study on on Sunday nights. We're preaching through the book of Acts. We haven't gotten there. but we will. We're not going to read all of the story tonight, but Luke, who authored the book of Acts, and Paul, and a man from Thessalonica named Aristarchus, they all get on board a ship in Caesarea destined for Italy. And at one point they changed vessels, and they got onto a large Egyptian grain ship, and according to one commentary, this ship would have been about a hundred feet long and would have weighed somewhere around a thousand tons. So it was a pretty sturdy vessel. But again, according to the commentary, these ships, while they were very sturdy, were not engineered in such a way that they sailed well into the wind. All right, so are you making the connection? Paul is writing from Rome. In Acts chapter 27, we're going to learn how he got to Rome. All right? So he's on a ship. They get to a port. They change ships. 
And, and, and if you read the text, you'll find that it was, was very slow going. They, they didn't make good time. And they finally reached a place called the Fair Havens. But the sailors didn't want to stay in the Fair Havens. But yet Paul told them that they needed to. Paul said, fellas, we need to stay here. Because if we don't, then it's not going to be good news for us. And, and, and you that know the life of Paul, you know that he was, he was not a stranger to sailing. Nor to shipwreck. He talks about being shipwrecked in the book of 1 Corinthians. And he tells them how that leaving the port is, is not going to be a good decision. It's not going to be a good choice. But to no avail. To the captain of the ship, Paul was just a, a Jewish preacher. And so they weighed anchor. And they set sail for a better harbor. Now that brings us to verse 14. All of that is found in the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 27. And so they, they leave the fair havens against Paul's counsel. And look what it says in verse 14. But not long after, there arose against it, against the ship, a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. Eurocladon, and here's the definition, it's a cyclonic, tempestuous, go ahead and turn it there, Cindy. Click, click. It's a tempestuous northeast wind which blows in the Mediterranean. So here's what that means. These sailors had done gone and ran into a nor'easter. How many of you have heard that phrase? A nor'easter. The elements of a winter sea plus ferocious wind plus a cumbersome boat plus an impatient crew all combined to make the perfect storm. Alone, each of these elements were manageable. If it was just the wind, they could have managed. If it was just the, the bulkiness and the cumbersomeness of the boat, they could have managed. If it was just the cold, they could have managed. If it was just an impatient crew, they could have managed. But each one of these combined to create this perfect storm of Acts chapter 27. These men did, e go help her with that, would you, Brother Mike? These men did everything that they could to survive. Everything. You can read about it on your own. But nothing worked. Look at verse 20. It sounds like a death sentence. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved 
was then taken away. These men gave up. And that's when Paul spoke up. Look at verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. What do you suppose these mariners who knew how to sail storms, this was not their first rodeo, as they say. They've, they've been here, they've done that, and now there's this preacher standing up and saying, guys, don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. God spoke to me. <laughs> yeah, right, Paul. And you got this preacher. I mean, what did Paul know that they didn't know? Maybe a better question would be, what did he say? That you need to hear tonight. And that's a hurry from this point on, maybe. Your life right now may, may be like riding out a nor'easter. Like the sailors. You've done everything that you know to do. You've consulted the bank. You've tightened your budget. You've changed your diet. You've tried to apply the things that you learned back in November at the marriage conference. You've done your best to listen and apply the things that Brother Paul has, has taught you uh, about raising teenagers. You've gone for counseling. You've been through rehab. You went to therapy. And yet, the sea churns with angry foam. Fear is coming at you from all sides. And all hope that you should be saved has been taken away. So what now? Let's go back to these words of Paul. Note 
that he began with a rebuke. Fellas, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. Fellas, you should have listened to me. And I don't want to I don't want to appear to be heartless tonight. I, I don't want to appear to be unsympathetic here. But church, listen, when you disregard God's word and good counsel, or when you fail to seek good counsel, a good scolding is in order. Can I get a witness right there? Absolutely. Are you in a storm of anxiety tonight simply because you refused to listen to God or those that he had put in your life? I mean, you were told, you were reminded what Solomon has to say about the borrower being the servant of the lender. You were told back in November in Amarillo at the marriage conference that you needed to cherish your wife. You needed to respect your husband. You needed to to nourish your children. You were cautioned, you were told, you were preached to, you were taught about the wrong crowd. But you didn't listen. Or, you never even asked anyone for advice, or for counsel, or for direction, or for guidance. Because you were too stinking stubborn. Or too prideful. And now, you're in a storm of your own making. If that describes you tonight, then humbly receive this rebuke. Stand corrected. Confess your sin and resolve to do better. Be wiser the next time. Learn from your poor choice. But don't despair. Don't give up all hope. Because while Paul's words include one rebuke, they also include three promises that give us peace in the midst of the storm. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one, heaven has helpers for you. Heaven has helpers for you. Paul said, for there stood by me this night the angel of God. On the deck of a sinking ship in a raging storm, Paul received a visitor from heaven. An angel came and stood before him. And this is a whole nother study of its own. But I'm going to tell you tonight that angels still come and help us. I believe the Bible backs that up. 
Hebrews 1.14 says, are, are they not all ministering spirits? Verse 13 mentions angels. And, and, and the writer Paul, the writer of Hebrews says, are they not all, these angels, are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Turn to Daniel chapter 10. You still with me? Daniel chapter 10. Listen, I know that, that, that Paul issued a rebuke. And, and again, church, let me say this tonight. Sometimes we need to be rebuked from the pulpit. We need to be rebuked from the Word of God. We need to be rebuked, rebuked by those who God has put in our life. But it wasn't just rebuke. Paul gave some hope. And, and one of the, 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 the hopes that he gave us is that heaven has helpers for us. Here's another example. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel was troubled. He, he had fasted and prayed for three weeks. And after that three weeks, he saw an angel in the form of a man. And you can read the description of him in verses 5 and 6. And, and Daniel was so stunned by what he saw that he fell to the ground. But look in verse 12. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. The moment Daniel, I love this, the moment the angel said, the moment, Daniel, you began praying, the answer was issued. But it didn't get to Daniel for three weeks. Why? Again, I don't have time to go into all of this tonight. You go home and study it for a couple of weeks and enjoy it. It's great. But the short answer is this. It was either the devil himself or it was a demonic, angelic being identified as the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Okay, time out. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare... You need to get your head out of the sand, Christian, because it's real. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, it's real. There is war going on in a sphere that you and I know nothing of. We studied that this year in, in again, the, the Against All Evil series I preached on Sunday morning about spiritual warfare. And I don't know how all of this of Daniel chapter 10 played out, but I know that Michael arrived on the scene with his superior authority, and the standoff was ended, and Daniel's prayer was answered. But here's the point tonight. God had a helper for Daniel. God had a helper for Paul. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways is what the psalmist said in Psalm 91 and 11. And if you'll go back and read Matthew chapter 4 and the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, you'll find that the devil used that verse to try to get Jesus to jump off the temple. 
Even the devil knows that angels are ministering spirits and that heaven has helpers for us. It was an angel that escorted Peter out of prison in Acts chapter 12. And I'm standing here tonight to tell you that he can help you walk out of your prison. Here's the second truth tonight. Heaven has a place for you. For there stood by me this night the angel of God. Paul said this, whose I am. When a parent sends their kid to camp, they have to fill out a form, and on that form somewhere, it asks for, for something. It may not be worded like this, but it asks for the responsible party. In other words, somebody needs to sign because they want to know who to call if something happens. <laughs> Hopefully, the parent signs their name. Well, in our case, God has signed his name. When we got saved, he took full responsibility for us. And he guarantees our safe arrival into the port of heaven. Now, he doesn't promise that there won't be any rough seas along the way. He doesn't promise that it will be all smooth sailing but he, did, he does promise this, church, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. Amen. If he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. You can have peace in the midst of the storm. Because number one, you're not alone. Number two, you belong to God. And number three, you're in the Lord's service. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and then Paul said this, and whom I serve. God had given Paul an assignment to carry the gospel to Rome. We read it, Acts chapter 27. Paul said, God, God told Paul, listen, I've, I've ordained you, I've chosen you, I've selected you. To preach the gospel in Rome. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. And Paul knew that. And Paul knew that because he hadn't gotten to Rome yet, but it was God's plan for him to get to Rome, Paul knew, hey, I'm good. We're good. I'm going to Rome. I've got to make it to Rome. I'm not going to die. You know, it's kind of like when you're watching a movie, you get to the end of it, and it looks like the, 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 the lead guy he may not make it out, but you know that the season's not over. And so you know that you're going to see him alive and well next week. Well, Paul's the lead guy here. And he said, I know it looks bad, but we're going to get out of this, boys, because I'm going to Rome. God's already told me that I'm going to Rome. And so Paul knew that. Now, most of us have not gotten an assignment as clear as Paul's assignment. But here's what we know tonight. We will not live one day less than we're supposed to live. If God has a work for you to do, then he will keep you alive to do it. No life is too short. No life is too long. 
you will live your prescribed number of days. We may have the ability to change the quality of those days, but we don't have the ability to change the quantity of those days. Look at verse 22 again, Acts chapter 27. Turn back there. Acts chapter, you still with me? Acts chapter 27 and verse 22. Paul said, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. Paul said, fellas, be of good cheer. None of you is going to die. We're all going to live. The only thing that's going to be lost is the ship. Now listen to me tonight. It's not easy to lose your ship. Your ship is the vessel that carries and sustains and protects and supports you. Your boat may be your marriage, your body, your children, your business, your ministry, your whatever. Because of your boat, you stayed afloat. And now without your boat, you think you're going to sink. And you're right. You are. For a while. But be of good cheer, as Paul said. And as Christ said. Over there in the Gospel of John, verse six, chapter 16, verse 33, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You can lose it all only to find out you haven't. Because God's been there the whole time. Storms come to all of us tonight, yes? Absolutely. Contrary winds, crashing waves. But because we belong to Jesus, we can have peace through them all. The same God who sent the angel to Paul with a message, sends this message to us tonight. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Some of you have gone through some pretty deep waters in 2017. There have been some struggles been some battles it's been some pretty rough sailing and the truth is tonight some of you are still there it's still not easy it's still a struggle but here's what I know tonight you may be facing the perfect storm but Jesus offers the perfect peace. Would you pray with me?
ask Crystal to go to the piano tonight.